Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and ask us. The more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself. Dr. Joe Millions. If you want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health. So, Prost to you. Where I want to call my home. So, stop for a second and listen. It's not silent at all. Hi everyone, welcome this morning to the Penis Project podcast. Today's guest is Pablo and Pablo has had the experience of prostate cancer where he underwent a radical prostatectomy. That prostatectomy was approximately two years ago and Pablo experienced some um, symptoms that are really common to most men undergoing the surgery for prostate cancer. But Pablo's situation was probably a little bit more severe than most and didn't actually resolve. And that was something called climacturia. So climacturia is the involuntary loss of urine during any sort of sexual activity. And that could be during any sort of arousal, such as just having uh, thoughts, sexual thoughts, or having any sort of stimulation, visual or auditory, um, or seeing, you know, a pretty pretty girl walk by. Uh Typically, climacturia is a little bit different. That's when there's urine leakage during sex activity where at the point of orgasm. Um, but there can also be a little bit of leakage afterwards. And all up, we do know that this probably occurs in at least 90, 93% of men after their surgery. And over time, that usually improves. But today we're going to talk to Pablo because his situation was very different. So welcome, Pablo. How are you going this morning? Yeah, welcome, ladies. No, I'm going very well, thank you. Hi, Pablo. Nice to see you or hear you. Always a pleasure to see you, ladies. Pablo, can you tell us all about your own experience with prostate cancer? Yes, well, um, my GP was on top of the my PSA readings, which were by age 60, a little high at about 5.1, but with slight upward movement. So the approach taken was to do some aggressive surveillance. So we did PSA tests every three or six months just to keep an eye on it. Um, A spike in 2019 up to 7.1 led to an MRI and biopsies followed where a large but fortunately fully localised cancer was found in my prostate. After visiting specialists in both surgery and radiation, I chose to go down the radical robotic prostatectomy path, which is removal. And uh, from there, of course, I've come to meet all the specialists that have helped me in my recovery since. And that's where we're at. 
great. So, um, Pablo, from, you know, what, what happened after the surgery, you had some side effects around the sexual function. Talk to us about that. How did that go? Yeah, the first most obvious was, of course, the erectile dysfunction, which I'm still working on, and it's slowly improving. Um, the other disturbing side effect is the climacteria, which, of course, is the leaking. So, Pablo, what, um, when did you first notice the urine leakage associated with sexual activity? So maybe tell us a little bit about how you went getting continent in general and then tell us what the difference was when involved with sexual activity. The, um, the daily continence, in actual fact, is very good. Um, it's on very rare occasions, like with an unexpected cough or sneeze, or if I reach too wide or too low too quickly, I could get a tiny spurt. Um, but otherwise, during the day, I feel like I'm really on top of it. There's no issues. I don't have to wear a pad. The only time I would take a pad with me is if I'm going to a big social function with lots of alcohol. And even then, I rarely have to use that uh, uh, during the event or even afterwards. I just need to be mindful of the toilet. The only other time I might get uh, wet during the day would be when I've been standing all day and I'm a physical education teacher with little or no rest, then get home and continue to be on my feet, do jobs, I could surprise myself with a little leak then, particularly if I've had a drink of alcohol. Sure. And so that's uh, different when you're having sexual activity. So explain to us what happens then. Yes, with um, sexual activity, if I'm having a bit of a play, uh, which is part of obviously part of the workout strategy uh, for oh, yes, we've got to include playtime. <laughs> if you're a baby, it's tummy time. If it's, you're an adult male after prostate cancer, it's playtime. <laughs> yes, I, I do like that term. Um, so, yeah, um, I noticed um, early after the surgery that during arousal, if I'm playing with myself, there would be this urge to let go of urine. And it was almost too hard to stop that urge. So I would find myself, even while I was playing, there would be up to 200, 200 maybe 250 mils of urine released in you know, various spurts, a, to a total of that amount. And during orgasm, um, there would be even more released, which was actually very disturbing. And hence, we went down the road of seeing what we could do about this. Just ask one question there. So that was even if you emptied your bladder before the sexual stimulation? Yes, even if I emptied beforehand, there would still be some that would be released. This is pre-sling surgery, which we'll obviously talk about soon. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, it just released most times. Okay. I, did you have any other strategies to cope with all of this? So um, we're going to share a PDF that has... Um, basically a brochure of about eight different strategies that we can actually use to assist this problem. And another, another option is something called a tension loop band. And Melissa actually provides those. And it's a way of trying to cause a bit of compression to compress on the urethra to minimise that urine leakage. Did, did, you, did you have a, a shot with that at all, Pablo? I did try the loop. Um, I did find that a little bit uncomfortable to use. Um, and being by myself, because um, I'm single at the moment, um, being by myself, I just found it a little bit awkward to use and 
I guess the word clumsy comes to mind. Um, <laughs> and I didn't sort of feel very comfortable with that approach. I've only tried it the once, but I'm prepared to go there again, particularly now as I'm in a better place anyway with my um, climacteria. Did you actually um, find that the tension loop band was helpful at all for the reduction of the leakage because it's specifically designed for that? I didn't actually go through the, the whole process. Okay. I put it on, I started to experiment, and I thought, no, nah, it's not working for me. And I will need to go there again. I'm not one to quit on anything. So I will yeah. go there again to try that, particularly now that I'm in a better place. But, okay. other, but other strategies I've also used, obviously the pelvic floor exercises is a daily ritual, which um, I'm going to continue for my life. Great. I'm thinking I'm probably only doing it twice a day and I do need to be a little bit more disciplined to do it three times a day to see if that's also going to make a difference. So that's one of my other strategies. Also limiting caffeine in my diet. I'm drinking less coffee. I'm having no cola drinks, which I would normally have in a mix with bourbon, etc. cetera. Um, so I'm being very mindful of that. I also make sure I urinate before having a play and sometimes halfway through as well. Can I just ask, is there any other times, um, as I mentioned, because I've had patients say to me, even, um, you know, watching television or just seeing, you know, something something appear on a screen, this, those thoughts actually connect to the loss of urine. And I, I wonder if it's all part of the um, nerve recovery process. That's just my theory from observing it because generally in most patients it gets better over time. And, in fact, I recorded it when I did my research and most men probably started off with 20 to 50 mils of urine leakage and over about a year it um, reduced to five mils and then to nothing in in a, a good number of patients. We do know that the pelvic floor exercises do actually help with that because there's been research on it. So I'm so glad you mentioned it. But in your case, did you, did you feel like you were getting gradual improvement or reduction of the climacteria or arousal leakage? Um, since the insertion of the sling, most definitely. But before the sling was prior just, just that, another conservative measures. Yeah, prior to that, not a great change, I didn't feel. Okay. And the, and the reason we're having a chat about this, Pablo, is because you are a, an exceptional patient. You are, um, you know, very um, fit and came into the operation with a great um, attitude to the uh, rehab and the prehab. And so your continence during the day has been uh, really quite good for a long time. So this is not associated with any daytime leakage. You're actually completely resolved with that. And you didn't really need to um, work on that in any way um, further after, how long do you think it was before you were dry during the day? Um, to be honest, like I say, my job is a phys ed teacher, which is a very, um, you know, mechanical, busy job. Um, quite early, really. Um, you know, I did wear a pad to work for the first month, but really didn't need it. And so I removed that and uh, it's been really, really good. And going yeah, back... So yeah. Sorry, just to interrupt, going back to the sexual play, I never leak when I'm just through thoughts or through seeing something or just, you know, any type of sexual thoughts. It's always only during play, so during manipulation, not actually, it won't be triggered by anything else. Okay. Um, so, Pablo, you know, we... We established early on that you we, you wanted to use injections and you used them very successfully. And quite often I find when men have climacteria that when they use injections and they get a really hard erection, 
that still that stops is enough to stop the climacteria just purely because when you've got a hard erection it's hard to have a pee but that didn't happen with you so um we talked about the options as you say we tried the tension loop which I prefer to call the stud lasso has a little bit more of a sexy connotation I think than the tension loop but anyway we tried the you've always got sexy (laughs) so we tried the stud lasso and that didn't really work for you very well so then we suggested a type of surgery called sling surgery which we referred you off to a specialist um, who does this and I actually was lucky enough to come and watch your surgery. It was amazing. It was quite um, incredible and, and surprisingly simple surgery. So tell us about that. Yes, just, just going back to what you said first was, um, yeah, um, pre-surgery, the, uh, the sling surgery, even 100% with an injection, I would expel urine. Mm. Um, with a tablet, I could get to 85%. Mm-hmm. Um, erect but would still expel urine as well yeah since the sling surgery um my first time i tried it uh had a play after the six week period of um of recovery um i was emotionally very happy because there was nothing at all came out it was very very pleasing um i've since been experimenting with uh alcohol as well different levels of alcohol Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't had a huge night on it with an experimentation, but even with uh, some alcohol, there is with 100%, which is the injection. The injection is the only thing you'll get me 100% at the moment. Um, there is very little, if any, urine, which I'm very, very pleased about. Yeah, that's great. So what was how long were you in hospital for and what was the recovery time? Yes, well, first of all, it was an overnight stay. Uh, with catheter, um, there was the, the device itself was a small mesh device used to support the urethra and neck of the bladder. It was the surgery was like you said minor, inserted through the perineum, overnight stay with the catheter, four to six weeks of no physical or sexual activity, and I went to six weeks recovery to play safe. And made a great difference already, especially when 100% erect. So that basically is a summary of that sling and my recovery of that. Great. And would you recommend this surgery to other people? Most certainly. Most certainly. I was, like I said earlier, I was happily a little emotional at my first play and dry orgasm. And even though I still get the occasional um, wet uh, urine orgasm with alcohol, it is so much better. It is so much better and so much more pleasing and will give me the confidence to um, continual sexual activity with the lady. Pablo, can I just ask, you were doing recordings, and just to get this a little bit clearer, most guys that I work with have talked about leakage of like a teaspoon, but yours was up to four, 500 mils. So it was, it was extensive. It was, yeah. you know, really um, quite a serious situation. I, I actually wondered if the artificial urethral sphincter a different type of surgery might be um, more appropriate but how, was the surgeon pretty confident he would help when um, talking about the sling yes because you do a cystoscopy first uh, which mm-hmm. is an analysis of what's going on in the bladder and through that cystoscopy the specialist found that my urethra and the bladder neck was smaller than normal and he said right. that 
Uh, we looked at both options, the sphincter valve and the sling, and he says, yes, the sling is certainly more um, better for you with uh, your structure. And so I was happy to go down that road. Good. And, and just for those that might be listening, the artificial sphincter is really appropriate if there's excessive leakage during the day. So we typically do that. And, and the sling is really a more minor procedure um, for, you know, leakage that's sort of like maybe one, 200 mils during the day, maybe using one or two pads, whereas the artificial sphincter is for that more uncontrollable leakage, which is three, four plus pads and pretty much not, not dry, um, you know, after a year or so after surgery. So we'll, we'll um, yeah, move on to let Melissa ask another couple of questions to you, Pablo. Yes. So other than, the, um, other than using the injections and the tablets, have you found if you stimulate without any, like, assistance at all in any of those areas, are you still having a, an, an orgasm? And it, what's the quality of the orgasm like? I can, I can uh, have an orgasm regardless of how erect I am. Um, without a tablet or without an injection, I do my one quarter in the morning every day anyway. Mm-hmm of Viagra, um, without any extra, I can get some 50%, 60% erection without any extra assistance. Sometimes I find it bigger mm-hmm. than that, and I wonder if that's because we're also doing shockwave treatment, if that's actually starting to assist as well, and I do believe that is the case. Right. Well, the shockwave is something I came across accidentally, and we've talked about it in some other podcasts, um, but in this sort of situation, what I've um, been using it for in Pablo's case is trying to assist his sexual function recovery. So it's all about trying to stimulate the pudendal nerve, which adjoins the cavernosal nerve and is involved in sexual function as well as pelvic floor function. But it also seems to really help with the sense sensory um, aspect of things. So when I first start using the shockwave therapy on men who have, rad- have radical prostatectomy and I'm placing it under the penis and in, a, in an area where um, there's a bit of a nerve bundle and also the perineum and along the shaft of the penis. It really surprised me at the beginning that I could ramp this shockwave up to the highest possible intensity and, and men weren't feeling it. But then over time, it tends to um, become much more sensitive and alongside that, um, a lot of their motor function or vascular um, improvement occurs. So there is a bit of research going on in the UK and the US at the moment about applying this, it's called low-intensity focal shockwave therapy it's not the radial radial type therapy um, but it's becoming um, an extra opportunity with penile rehabilitation to assist and although it's all fairly new I'm gathering quite a bit of evidence in my clinic to show that it is actually really worthwhile early on I did try doing shockwave therapy in patients who were like within the first three months of um, the radical prostatectomy, but I didn't think it was making any significant difference. But those doing the research will hopefully show that. But give it a year or so down the track when we're trying to get a little bit more nerve recovery and men are starting to naturally get some sensational, spontaneous recovery, I I do think there's a role. And um, Pablo is definitely someone who's said to me over and over, he feels that that has really enhanced his um, erectile function at this point. Can you tell us what it feels like, Pablo? The actual shockwave treatment? Yeah. Um, Having had similar shockwave treatment on other muscles in my body um, to help break up scar tissue, I believe, um, is similar to that type of electrical input. 
And I am starting to feel more and more of this, like a, a mini prick sensation, which I presume is activating the nerve. Yep. And, yeah, it's very easy to do. It's not, it's not invasive. Um, it's, it's not uncomfortable. And obviously it's for a good reason. But uh, I do feel the little sensation um, when that little charge actually hits the spot. Yeah. Yeah. So what I've actually found is over time, um, men can actually start using less and less medication or they can shift from having to use their intracavalosal injections down to tablets. Um, and that's, you know, all in line with trying to normalise your function so things can be a bit more spontaneous. Well, fitting in with that, I'm actually with my uh, intracavanosal injections, I'm now dropping my dosage down to less than it used to be to get the same effect. So I'm presuming that's part of the flow-on effect. Yeah. What do you think, um, Melissa? Have you noticed in the patients that do shockwave therapy that there's anything showing itself? I know we've only been doing it a short time, but have you seen any changes that you want to comment on? It's interesting. I... I've definitely noticed that guys improve, but I'm not sure, and I'm not sure how we would check this, but we really need to kind of compare whether or not that's natural progression over time because the guys that don't have shockwave also improve over time usually or whether or not it's um, because of the shockwave. And so I suppose the only way that we can really compare that is if we had one group that never did any shockwave and one group that did. But, you know, of course... I mean, my attitude is is anything you do that potentially, if you've got the time and the resources to do something that will potentially improve blood flow, then why wouldn't you do that? But I, I do think it would be a really interesting thing for us to compare one group who just we waited over time and one group we didn't. But it's so difficult because there's so many variables on someone's, you know, their weight, their BMI, their what's how much physical activity they do, you know, everything else is just so variable. So Yeah, my way of thinking is anything that can help, go for it, as long as you're not doing harm. Yeah, Yeah, I totally agree with you there, Melissa. And we actually talked about doing that study, but um, when I did a bit of background, it was really pleasing to see that those studies are in place at the moment. And so those results will probably come out in the next year or two, and that saves us from having to put our patients (laughs) through not being able to have access to everything else because you always have to have a group that maybe doesn't even get the medications or the vacuum pumps. And um, ethically, that's quite challenging when you're trying to, you know, improve quality of life. So, yeah, really interesting. Exactly. So, Pablo, just tell us, how many months post-op are you now exactly? We haven't actually covered that. From the sling? No, from the original um, surgery. It is two years and two months. Right. So that was something that I just wanted to bring up for um, guys listening is that it's interesting to see that you're still noticing improvement because Joe and I often say to people, you know, pretty much where you end up at two years is usually where you're going to be. And we do see exceptions to that. So it's great to see that you're still improving over time. And this is purely anecdotal, but I have noticed that the guys that get to the two years, Joe, and then you do the shockwave on seem to make a jump in recovery. I've seen patients continue to improve for four plus years. And in our last podcast with Dr. Dangerfield, he had that extraordinary case where uh, he did the nerve grafting procedure on a man 10 years after the radical prostatectomy and still there was um, functional return. So, you know, that's an exciting place. But um, when he mentioned that nerves recover at one 
millimetre per day. Well, I remember going to a presentation quite a few years ago where a visiting specialist talked about it, but the amount of nerve that needs to regrow, it's actually more like four years potentially in his clinical caseload. So I think I always say so long as a man's heart is beating, there's hope. And and key to me as a patient is motivation. And to have these other methods, other forms of trial, you know, I'm not going to quit. And as I've written down in my notes, you know, three months after the sling, I am better than I was, but will still push to get better. And I would now feel a bit more confident in starting a new new relationship and having the joy of sharing sex again because any improvement is great improvement, you know, yeah. and it's great motivation to us patients. And the other thing is as well is that you've figured out a workaround in the meantime where hopefully things are going to get better, you're using the injection successfully or the, medic- the oral medication successfully. So, you know, you are the perfect example of what I call someone that has amazing stickability. You've definitely stuck at it and hopefully this will be a encouragement for other men listening to not give up and think it's all over. No, thank you. No, I'm not. I'm definitely not one of those guys to uh, to to give up. But I must say, you do have your deflated moments. You do have your times when you do feel a bit deflated. So it's great to work with um, professionals like yourselves who continue to keep me motivated. Um, so no, it's it's very pleasing. Very pleasing. Well, I think that's a, a wrap up. Then we'll thank. Have you got any other questions, Doctor Joe, before we say goodbye to Pablo? No, I just want to say big thanks to Pablo for sharing the story because it's quite a challenging topic and um, most men will experience climacteria and arousal leakage and um, it's nice to know that there is an endpoint and there's a potential for cure and um, we want resolution so you can uh, move on and, and hopefully leave us behind one day in the future. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Pablo, and we really appreciate you coming to be with us today and that was fantastic. Thank you. I'm going to tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there all of my life. Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our program today. And we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts, not fortnightly, as originally proposed. And this is because the popularity of our podcast we're getting so many emails so many questions and so much feedback and melissa and i greatly appreciate it what we'd really love you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit including any man in your life simply download off spotify or subscribe to the penisproject.org and then you'll get a weekly email of our newest releases Also feel free to send us a review and this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you new and fresh information as that's the way we build what comes next. We also have show notes attached and this gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about. Finally, it's my great pleasure to let you know that PROST, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast, is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer, an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these as well as the everyday bloke. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Those dread dark days, I learned to value each and every one.
those warm afternoons Boys on their bikes Shooting stones at each other through the trees We tried to deny the going down of the sun